You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. It is an honor. I'm a missionary with the Assemblies of God, with Chi Alpha Campus Missionaries, Ministries, Fellowship. We go by many names, but the Chi and the Alpha part are always part of it. <laughs> um, Man, you guys have been supporting Lindsay Knight. My wife and my, my children are actually still back in Connecticut because we are in the middle of a very busy season as welcoming freshmen on the campus. And um, so they were like, Dad, can we, can we stay back and go to youth group? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you can do that. Um, so, so you get me. I am the uh, gray, boring version of the family. They're a lot more fun than I am. And uh, my little buddy Ben, who's my, my youngest, is nine, and he is, he is the definition of extrovert. And so if you want a party, you can call Ben, and he will, it'll be a Lego party or a Nintendo party, but he will make sure you know all about it. Um, so I just want to start off by just giving you guys a brief, what does campus look like right now? And then we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings, if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, chapter 19, verse 19. But... Before we get to that, I just want to say thanks for the many years of helping us to pioneer and re-pioneer and just take the gospel to a lost people group. Um, they're really your peers. They're your neighbors. They're, they're your kids' kids. They're your friends' kids. You know, there are all these different places and things that are coming to the University of Connecticut. Although they won many national championships there, um, they lose their mind when they do so, if you saw the news last year. <laughs> so they need Jesus. It's like, why are we tearing up every time? Every time we win a national championship, we go around and tear up the entire campus. I don't, how, why? It makes no sense to me. But, um, so that does happen. So over the years, we've had just so many people come to Christ. I could name you people like Stephen, and I'm actually going to hear about my friend Matt in the sermon today who came to Christ. Many, many, many students have come to Christ over the years. At our, at our campus. And then in the last about six to seven years, God's been opening up more doors for us to help campus, other campus missionaries in the region as I became a spiritual director. It's a long story what that, what that term means. It sounds really fancy. And really, it's just a, it's an ancient uh, Holy Spirit-driven ministry of sitting with people and helping them to hear the voice of God for themselves. So often leaders, particular pastors, don't have anybody pouring into them. And so part of my role regionally now and with Chi Alpha is, is I've, been helping, I've been helping our missionaries to hear God's voice for themselves so that, because who they are is way more important than what they do. And as God comes out of them, like we sang about today, right, that, then they will be able to then lead more people to Christ and make, just make fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so that's a big part of what I do now, too, in addition to serving at UConn. And Lindsay also serves with the Chi Alpha Kids program. We call them XAMKs. So she has a heart for, we have a heart for our families, which is a heart for missionaries and for students. We believe that healthy missionaries and their families are healthy. They're going to reach more students, right? So we've just been honored and privileged that God would allow us to do that for the last four or five years. And particularly the last two years, I've been really involved. I pioneered a ministry called a soul care cohort where I'm starting my third one this year with missionaries. And I'll have 10 new missionaries going through it where they go through and look at their life with God and how, how God can... They already have a life with God, but often we're unaware of our life with God because we get so busy serving people um, that we get... I say, I say this. We get so far ahead on mission for God that I'm so far ahead of the shepherd 
I can't hear the shepherd's voice. And many, many leaders do that. And so this year journey of retreating and, and exploring this life is about getting closer to the shepherd again for these shepherds so that they can go back out and do the work of God in their life. So uh, you can pray for me. That starts in uh, November for me. I have, and I'm ending one cohort. Cohort two is ending. So pray for those guys as they're uh, ending their year-long journey and pray for the new cohort of 10 missionaries that are coming in. Um, these are people from all over the Northeast. So they're all over the place serving, uh, serving college students for Jesus. And so I'm really excited about that. So that's just a brief overview of the many, many things I do. I've been in the last three or four weeks, three weeks or so, pouring into my staff. And our staff has just been doing evangelism every day, doing, and just really enca- encountering the world of the flesh and the devil um, and saying, no, we want the Holy Spirit to be alive and well in these places. And you don't get to own this one, Jesus. I mean, not, not Jesus. Jesus gets to own it. I'm at the devil, right? He thinks it's his. But I believe that that's God's, these are God's campuses, that New England's God's. And so I have nothing to fear. So we go forth and we stand there and we, we just present an invitation of hope to college students, 17, 18-year-olds who are unsure of the world. I was saying the other day, like this, as I get older, they're basically my daughter's age now. Like I have a 17-year-old. She's, she's going to go into college next year. And I, I'm like, wow, this is different. Parenting, parenting slash pastoring people that are like my kid's age, right? But I, I watched these like these, these young men walk around campus two weeks ago. They just got to campus. And it was like, I don't know, it was like 10 o'clock at night. I was going, leaving. And there's all, they're like in like little like alpha dog packs, but they've lost their alpha dog. So that they all are trying to figure out who the alpha dog is. And everybody's acting like they're, they're so confident, but they're all also just scared to death. And they just look at each other. It's like six or seven guys. You'll, you'll never look at like teenager boys again if you like just walk into a, or young adult boys again if you see this. You'll be like, oh, let's look. It's a bunch of wolves all trying to figure out which one's the alpha dog. And they're all like trying to be macho but they're all, like, also, like, I'm scared to death. Just my little, I, I just thought it was hilarious. I just had this little, like, dad moment, like, ha, y'all are really funny. And then prayed, <laughs> and then just prayed for them, because it was just like, this is hilarious. What do you, oh, uh, uh, well, only if you want to, you know. It's, it's like, because they don't know each other or anything. It's just really funny. So they're just people, man. They're just people. They're just really young people that happen to be really smart, but they need the Holy Spirit. God gave them that brain, but they don't always know how to use it the correct way. So, so yeah, so that's what we do every day. We disciple, we lead small groups, and we do a lot of evangelism apostolically, um, trying to make ground. So, in first, uh, we're going to be talking about, again, passing the baton. So, I used to, I was a, um, I call myself a, I'll say this. I was like a, I was a, um, I, I couldn't focus on just one sport, so I did everything. So I was a basketball player and a soccer player and a swimmer in particular, and I also ran a little track. And so I remember the, the one track event, because I was a hurdler, you guys know what hurdles are. So I would run the 110 hurdle, and I went to states every year in that, and then I also ran the, this is like me glorifying myself here, so I'll just do real quick. That's a joke. All right. And so I had the 300-meter hurdle in Virginia. I think it's a 400-meter hurdle here in, um, in Connecticut. But, but then because I did those things and I was pretty quick, um, I, 
I had to run a relay in high school, and so they made me run the, um, what I would consider the second worst relay in the planet. The worst relay would be the four by 800 meter relay, because that's just like torture. Um, 800 meters is not a distance race. It is two laps of sprinting as hard as you can until you throw up. The 400 meters is the same thing as just one lap doing that. And so I would have to run that race. And I can remember being so nervous. Because I usually ran either... I was never the... I usually ran the first leg. Because um, I, was, I was one of the faster two people on the team. And so I, I ran the first leg. So I'm the one that had to get off the line the quickest... I had to get all the way around, and I'd be so nervous to pass that baton, right? Because if you drop the baton, you're out of the race. If you guys ever watched the Olympics, like if you see them, they just devastated when they drop the baton. Um, but at the end of the 400 meter, 4 by 400 meter, you were like, your legs are jello, and you want to, I mean, it sounds gross, but you really do want to throw up if you've done, if you've ran that race properly, you should be on the verge of like, of hurling. I don't know why we do these things and we call it fun. And so, and so like, to, 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 to try to pass the baton in that moment is a very nerve-wracking thing to your, next, to your next teammate, right? So they can keep going. And I think often, we're going to read in First, in First Kings 19. I believe that's right, yeah. We're going to read about Elijah, Elijah passing the baton of his ministry to Elisha. Right? And this is after Mount Carmel. This is after these spaces and places where God's done these great things. And yet, Elijah find it, found himself scared in a, in a cave. And God was speaking to him. And, and, and in God's grace, he says, no, I'm going to pass this mantle on to the next generation. And I think if you're like me, you can sit there and think um, that, well, how do we, how do we grow young? How do we reach the next generation? How do we move in these ways? Like, I'm this, I'm this old guy. <laughs> like, you should, I have guys, I have a great beard. I sit on campus now, and it's like, they do not want to be my friend. They don't want to hang out. How do you build relationships with younger people when young people really want to be around each other, right? And what does that look like? And how does the grace of God move forward? And I've been finding, I've been saying this phrase to my students and to my staff over and over and over again. Because I think it's true both ways. It's true sideways, peer ways, and it's true generationally. And it's this. If the good news of Jesus Christ was good for you, why would it not be good for somebody else? If the good news of the resurrection, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, we always leave that part out, that the kingdom of God is not, was good news for you. For you to say yes, you were overcome with the goodness of the Spirit of God. Why would it not be good for someone else? And just because I'm older, and many of you are older than me, so I shouldn't really say I'm older, right? I'm only 42 years old. You're like, come on, young whippersnapper. You got, but in my world, they look, they look at me and I'm ancient. So they might look at you and they even think, they think I'm really ancient. I think I'll have some hope for you in the next few minutes. But there's, I do want to say there are no easy answers to passing the baton. So your fear sometimes can be real. But this is God's church. And he said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail. And so there is nothing to fear. If he is good to you, and he was good for you, and it is good news to you, 
it is good news to the next generation. God is good because that is his character. But let's just read this, this beautiful calling as I set that up with Elijah and Elisha, right? Like, this is God's, God makes his promise. He says, go to Elijah and he, uh, to Elisha. And this is the interaction of the passing of the baton in verse 19. It's a First Kings 19, um, verses 19, verse 19. So First Kings 19, verse 19. And it says, so he departed from there. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And now, when I read that this week, preparing, I thought I said Snapchat. That's how into <laughs> campus met. That's a true story. I wish that was not true. But I read it. I had to read it three times because I need bifocals now. I don't have them yet. I'm like, it does not say Snapchat. It says this other man's name. So who was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him? And he was with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what I have done to you. And he returned and then from following him and took the yoke of the oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with yokes of the oxen, with the yokes of the oxen. And he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. It's that last two words that I think is really crucial we're about to talk about. It says, some other things going on there that are really, really important. Calling after Jesus, the good news, the calling, the imitation of Christ, is something that requires a sacrifice, right? The invitation to serve and to move forward in ministry. Is, and so you, we see sacri- Elijah is sacrificing. He's, he's saying, I'm all in. I'm not going back to plowing the field. I'm taking the baton. But there's these two words. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he assisted him. He went after Elijah and he assisted him. I want to say this. The good news of the gospel is going to require us the kingdom of God is going to require us, if we're going to pass the baton, to be able to do a few things. But what we need to understand is this next generation needs someone to assist them. Like they need someone, they, ha- they can't learn. The, they, this is, the gospel's caught, it's not taught. I know we, I'm standing up here teaching it. But we live this out. We're embodied people. We're not Gnostic. This is not just like, like the, the spirituality that is around us in New England, right, with Reiki. And like, I, I remember being blown away. My son was born in a New England hospital, and this lady came around with these rocks, and she was like, hey, can I do Reiki? And I was like, no. But the chaplain can't walk around and say, hey, can I pray for you? You have to be invited in, right? So the spirituality of New England 
is Gnostic, meaning it's just like we have a soul, but we have nothing else. But we are created, we are image bearers of Jesus, which means your body matters, which means your community matters. And this next generation is a spiritual generation, but they need someone who's been there before to show them the way. And they actually want it. My generation did not want it. We were like, we were the gung-ho, let's go. I was at the tail end of Gen X, early millennial. I'm an ex-millennial. Um, that's a true term. But, I'm, but I, I identify way more with Gen X. And we're like, you know, we're the latchkey kids. We hate our parents. We gave, we're the generation that gave people Marilyn Manson and, you know, <laughs> all this depressing music. I'm, you're, you're welcome. That was us. Um, Green Day, you know, it's just like, what is this? Why is this, why were my favorite bands so depressed? Um, we didn't want anybody's help. We are like, we're going to do it on our own. This generation does not want that. And no generation needs that. They need mentors, right? And so Elisha purposely went underneath his rabbi and said, teach me. I'm going to assist you until the family has been fully passed. And so the good news, if we're going to carry on the good news, like Elijah and Elisha, if we're going to pass the baton, we have to recognize that we have to focus on the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to present to you guys three ways that that has to happen. Or I guess the good news of Jesus Christ has to be focused for us if we are going to figure out a way to pass the baton underneath these these kind of three key categories. And the first is we have to consecrate ourselves. Um, and so first, uh, first Corinthians 6.20 says, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Joshua 3.5 says, and this is really important because this is the key here. Joshua is taking a new generation. Moses just died. They're going into the promised land. If we're going to take a new generation to the promised land, this is what Joshua says. He says, go and consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Our bodies matter. Our souls and our bodies are interwoven. They're like, they're like we're meshed. That we have a soul, but we also have a body. That's why we have a resurrection, Right? And so if we are going to take the good news, if he's good to me and I'm going to try to translate the good news to a generation that doesn't quite understand it, there's no magic bullet here. There's nothing that we're going to do to say, like, tomorrow, if you guys, I'm not giving you a five-step process to, like, because, like, Mike in campus ministry, we've had 30 people, we've had 40 people, and right now I think we have, like, 10. Like, we're all over the board. I don't know what's going on, but I know that God wants to do things. And, and I do think there's, part of it is, is this idea that, if we're going to step into what God has for us, we have to set ourselves apart for him. To consecrate ourselves means that I'm looking inward to look upward. It means I'm going, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm going, as a group, I'm going to say, I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to get alone with the Lord. I'm going to have a prayer meeting, whatever you want to call it. This was a corporate call from a leader in Joshua to, a, to the people of God to say, if you want the promised land, 
we have to humble ourselves before the Lord to pass on the goodness of God to the next generation. Because here's the problem. When I don't do that, and I wish I would have understood this concept more, God was, God's been very good to me in the midst of me not understanding this. Like, I confess my sin. I, like, you know, go after Jesus. I do those things. But consecration, when we really understand what it means, like, we were talking out earlier in the hallway. I wasn't talking about the Haverty's Revival. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the Haverty's Revival in Scotland. It's this island. It's this nowhere place. It's the hardest place to live in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the British Isles, right? It's off of Scotland. And yet, in the 50s or 60s, I don't remember when it was, 70s or 80s. I don't remember when it was because I forgot. I, I didn't write down the date. But this revival broke out. And it broke out because two seven-year-old women went into the chapel because they looked around. The, they looked around. They were like, these people are going to, the, the world's going to a horrible place. And they said, they, we're just going to go pray. We're going to consecrate ourselves. So you're never, you're never too old to reach the next generation. Two, I mean, literally, if you read it, you can go look it up. These Two old women started a revival. And then people started, like, to the point of a preacher from, from a seminary in St. Andrews. St. Andrews. I think it was St. Andrews. Anyway, gets the call. He goes up and starts preaching it every night for, like, three years. The entire town starts coming. People start coming back to Christ. All this stuff starts happening. The younger generation comes from two people in their 70s that just said, you know what? I'm tired of watching these young people waste their life. I'm going to do something about it. But they, they says that they started by, by confessing their sin. Now, I don't know about you, but two, two, two old women who wanted to go pray, how much sin could they possibly have? <laughs> that they're aware enough to know that the, that the enemy is getting his way in some ways, and they want to say, God, we're calling out to you to do something. And yet it's, but yet they went and they confessed their sin. But we were talking out in the hallway about the Asbury Revival. Same thing, did you know there was a consecration room at the Asbury Revival? Did you know about this? Before anyone could go onto the stage, they had to spend at least an hour in the consecration room. And this happened accidentally. There was just this professor who was there studying. She was, like, from another country. Um, I don't remember where she was from at this point. I think South Korea. It was South Korea. She was from South Korea. She was there doing a postdoc thing just on a, on a sabbatical, just doing some studies. She was going to go back to, to be a professor in South Korea. But in South Korea, they were having these students who were being seeing visions of Jesus calling them into North Korea. But here's the thing. When they get called to North Korea, and these are like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old people, they were not coming back. It was a one trip. You went in, you didn't come back. But they had these, over and over and over again in these prayer times, they had people feeling like they were being, they're seeing visions of Jesus calling them into North Korea. So they set up a consecration room because they were like, if you're going to go there, you've got to be purified. Because the enemy will use anything in those circumstances to, to wreck your faith if you have oppression coming at you while you're trying. Like the enemy is going to try to stop you from getting to a place that he feels like he has hold of, right? 
And so they set up this consecration room at the Asbury Revival, but it was accidental. This woman was just praying in a closet. She thought it was a closet because she, she had come over from setting this up because she had set one up for those students in South Korea. And she made them, made them like spend literally months to a year in there before to make sure that they were called before they would go in. And so she was just praying in this closet, and, the, and they had, when the revival broke out, the worship team came in there to, like, go over their set. And she was, she was just praying in this closet, and she said, oh, no. So the Lord told her, they don't need to go over this set. They need to be consecrated. And so she just stopped them and said, you need to pray right now. So then from that point on, everybody who went on that stage had to go in there and spend at least an hour. Because when you do hard things, when you do hard things, the devil is going to come after your mind. Because you know you're covered. Even if you have sinned today, you've been covered. It's hard to get away from the love of God. The cross and resurrection are a permanent miracle and force in this world that cannot be broken. But yet, the devil will do whatever he can, and our own minds and shame will cover us. And so consecration is this, this ability. If we're going to take the good news to the next generation, I'm, I'm convinced that I have to be very much aware. Search me and know me, Psalms 139. What is my inner world like? Why do I do and act the ways I act? So I can't intercede for people I don't know until I've taken my stuff before the Lord because, I, because who I'm becoming is way more important than what I'm doing. And God's called me to become like Him, to reflect Him into the world. And so I need to become like, and the only way to become like him is for him to search me and to know me. And that's what Joshua is saying to these people. He's saying, you are going into battle. And I think we use the battle term sometimes when we get into the New Testament too much. Because we are, here's the thing. We put a line in the sand sometimes as the church. And we say, there's this battle where, and we're fighting the world. That's baloney. I, I don't, I'm not fighting Yukon. You're not fighting this town. Ephesians 6 says, what? 5 and 6. We're, we're fighting principalities. We're fighting the enemy. We're fighting ourselves, sure. But I'm not, just because someone doesn't know Jesus and they have a different opinion of me politically or whatever, I'm not, like, that's the devil. The devil divides. And when he puts a division between you and someone else, then you can't reach them anymore. Because you're divided. And that's exactly what he wants. The reality is the world, the flesh, and the devil are all forming us, and they're all forming the world around us. So we're, we're being formed. And the reason consecration is important is because what are we being formed into the image of? We're being formed in the image of something every day. What we watch what we do, how we move in the world. It's true of me. It's true of your neighbors. Consecration allows me to be alone with Jesus or maybe in a group of people with Jesus for the sole purpose of just allowing God, saying, I don't know what I need to know to, to give to you. That's my understanding of consecration, but I'm going to give you it all. Point out everything. Prune what you need to prune that I may bear fruit, John 15. 
then intercession comes. Then we get, but, but, but we have to start here. It starts in this house. And then we move forward in that. And then the good news has this like plausibility effect. Because they can accuse me of all sorts of things. But if I'm presenting my true created self to them, not the false version of me that I've come up with, the one that I present to the world, not the one that I compulsively like have to do because of my sin life that I'm not even aware of, like because we're, we, we're born into this fallen world and we all compulsively have things that we're like, why did I say that? Why was I thinking that? Why do I always want to impress this person? Why am I always trying to do this, whatever, whatever it is? But, you know, you know your own life. You know your thought life. Consecration allows me to get it with the king of kings. The second way that we can really focus in on this is if we're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the next generation, we have to understand that... um, we need to look for those that are receptive. That doesn't mean I don't cast my nets out wide. It just means I pour into those that are receptive. When Jesus was walking along a shore, he did just this. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or you might know the more artistic version, and I'll make you fishermen of men, right? And so Jesus did this. He did this with Matthew, Right? Like, who would have thought Matthew would be receptive? He's a tax collector. Everybody hates the dude. He's stealing money from everybody, from Rome, from Israel, from everybody, right? He did this with Zacchaeus. He did this over and over again. There's all these other people around, yet Jesus spends his time with those, the woman at the well. They might not look like they're receptive. So we need our spiritual antenna to know who is receiving what I'm offering, And, ha- and just walking with them in that. And so this is where it's really important if you're older. And my example, I can tell you about my friend Matt. This is, he's been graduated now for a few years. I was doing evangelism on campus. I was actually playing Jenga. We had a giant Jenga set at the time. And Matt came up and I started asking him questions about, you know, his, just his life and his faith and does he have a worldview and these things. And, um, and Matt started responding and being actually really, really interested. Matt was an atheist. He grew up in Connecticut. Um, I mean, to say he was an atheist, he said he was an atheist, but really he was just a, he was just a nun, right? He just didn't have, he had no understanding that there was anything other than his, his personal spirituality, and he had no spirituality other than that, right? Jesus was not on his radar. And over the next year, Matt and I met once or twice a week. Matt started coming to all sorts of things. I hung out with Matt all the time, and I just, I just poured my life into Matt. He was, he was not expecting Jesus to show up that day. He was not expecting, like, 
but he just kept coming with more questions because he had, he had a hole in his heart that Jesus started to make sense to him. There's something supernatural happen when we open up the Word of God together, and we also just, and, and at the same time, we listen to someone who's younger than us. And we pay attention to the receptivity they have towards the gospel. That means God's doing something in them. I'm going to keep going with them. Um, and so, anyway, Matt came to Christ. He's graduated now. It's just this beautiful story. And he's still serving the Lord today, I believe. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years now, but he sent me some, he, he supported Calpha a couple of years ago. So I think he's still supporting, you know, he's with Jesus, which is great news. And you guys had a part in that, and we, that couldn't have happened without your giving. But at the same time, it's an example of being able to pay attention to the receptivity, the rep, receptivity, that's not a word, to be, those that are receptive. There we go. We're just not tongue twisted. Um, and I just, I just think that that's, that's so important. So here's what I'm going to say to you. I want you to think about where you're, because like, here's the thing. If students really want to be with each other, you're saying, well, Gil, how do we grow young people in this church? Like, how does that, that's great, but what is that going to do for me to grow young people in church? I'm going to say, flip that question and just ask yourself, who do you know who's under 30? Who do you know that's under 20? Who in your life has shown any interest in you at that age? Because they, they want mentors, do you have a skill that someone might need? Do you, do you bake? Do you cook? Do you know computers really well? They want to learn that. Do you know how to work on cars? Do you know, what do you know that you can start spending time with someone and you can teach them something that's not Jesus right now, but as you're living life with them on this one-on-one level? And Jesus is going to come up because he should be coming up through you. And they have problems. They're, they're going to break up with their girlfriend or boyfriend. They're going to sleep with their girlfriend or boyfriend. They're going to be involved and someone's going to hurt their feelings or partying or things that, things that are, are fun sometimes are not going to be fun. Because all those things that give temporary, you guys know this, temporary fulfillment don't give lasting fulfillment. And then you can be this rock. And they might look at you and go, well, hey, tell me about your life. Or you can look at them and go in there saying, hey, my dog died. Or I had one student one time years ago wanted everybody to pray for his turtle that was dying, which was so weird. But, you know... It's just like, whatever. Like, if that's what you if that's what they care about, I'm there. Let's meet them where they're at. Let's look for what they're receiving from us. And I guarantee you, if you invite them over, if you have a, a grandson or a nephew or whatever, or, you know, whoever it is in your life, um, they'll, they will start coming over. We have a goal in our house. We have a tiny house. Um, so it was like a dumb goal to have, but we wanted to be the place where the teenagers came to. This is a prayer for years. And I'll have you, I'll have you, I just prayed it for years. I didn't do anything other than that, but just pray. And then and tell my kids, hey, always invite your, always invite your friends over. 
to this day, my, my kids, my teenagers walk up to me and they say, hey, can so-and-so come over? And I'm like, why do you keep asking this question? If yes, they can come over. And that's literally my answer to them. Like, they don't even have to, like, I, they could just be here when I got home. Because it's a, it's a space to cultivate safe friendships where I get to control the environment. Now, we're not in there talking to them all the time or anything, but because it's a consecrated space, see what I'm doing here? And then every now and then I get into a conversation with one of my friends, one of my daughter's friends that is gospel-driven. And you can do that. This is not rocket science. It's just loving God and loving people. And I know it sounds crazy to think because some of you guys are a whole lot older than me. It's, well, don't, it's not an ouch. Don't, don't. I love being 42, and I can't wait to be 70. I hope to get there one day because every decade's been better. And I will say this, young, the few young people in the room, 20s are great, but your 30s are a lot better. My 40s have so far been better than my 30s. Don't believe the lie that more responsibility means less fun. Sometimes it does mean that, but, it's, but joy is better than fun. It's been a more fulfilling life. Responsibility is good for us. And don't believe the lie, if, you're, if you are older, that they don't want to hear from you. You have a unique space and opportunity. If you just look for those that are receptive and you just keep inviting them over and you keep teaching them things, God's going to open up doors for you to speak into their life. Did you know, I don't know, how much time do I have left? I could go on forever. Are we all right? All right. Um, I'm going to say this with you. It wasn't my notes, but I want to share this with you. I'll get to the last thing about the good news, and then we will pray. But did you know that 50% of our most committed Christians, and this is across the country in the United States, so 50% of our most Christian students, so these are the Christians, Think of this as the, the kids that are involved in youth group that are leading in youth group. This is from the Fuller Institute, uh, from Fuller um, Seminary in California. 50% of those kids will leave their faith. Do you know what keeps the other 50% in? One of the major factors is one adult not in their family who's a believer in their life. One adult. Because we're an embodied community faith created for community, and they need to see how the gospel works out outside of their family house. It's not rocket science. You can do it, and God is going to build his church. How does that translate to building a, a younger adult ministry, 25 and up, or whatever here? quite sure about that. I know it'll happen as you, as you think about it. It'll happen. Like if they, if they, cause I think if they start getting to know you and they start coming to your church every now and then and they're involved in your things you're doing here, they'll start inviting their friends to that. Right. And you can start encouraging them in ways to build small groups in their own house. I think tables are a big part of this. Jesus ate his way through the Bible. He just did. 
Hospitality and having a mindset of hospitality is really important and understanding when I'm the guest and when I am the host, right? And, and appropriately sitting at the table in those manners, but always with the intention that I represent, I'm an ambassador of Christ in this situation. I represent the love of God here. And I'm looking for the, who is receptive to the love of God in these spaces. I'm not ignoring the people that aren't receptive. I'm still loving them. I'm just going to pay a little, like, if, if, if I say something, if I pray for somebody and there's a receptivity to it, I'm just going to take note of that, and I'm going to, you know, follow up in a different way, and then I follow up the person that's not as receptive, right? Does that make sense? But it's super simple. It's super simple theology. It's really hard to live it out. It requires a lot of us. Does that make sense? And so, because like thinking through all these things requires sacrifice and requires saying people know. It requires so many things. It requires being intentional to like go, I'm going to pray for this person and invite this 20-year-old over. I'm going to hang out with them here. Whatever. Like, it's complicated. I understand that. But sometimes, and that's kind of funny. It's complicated, but it's simple. The idea, the concept is simple, but to practice it is complicated. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He will be your guide. He will help you. And if you're consecrating yourselves, you're going to hear his voice. And you're going to be close to him as he searches you and knows you. And you won't be living in any false pretense. And then the last part of the gospel, the good news, is the good news is not be a disciple of guilt. The good news is what? That Jesus came And he said, this is the kingdom of God to preach the good news. I came to preach the good news in the kingdom of God that I am in charge. I am enthroned. The king is here. We sang about that earlier, right? He came as an infant. He's flipping the script. And in Matthew 28, 19, he says, teach them everything I have taught you. Go and make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, make disciples of Stephen Furtick. I like Stephen Furtick as a preacher. I'm just saying, this is just pointing people out. He didn't say, make disciples of the Republican Party. He didn't say, make disciples of the Assemblies of God. He said, teach them everything I have taught you and go and make disciples. The implication there is of me. In the same way that he called them to be, he called Peter and James and John and Matthew to be underneath him. We're called to be underneath him. And so when you're making disciples, this takes all the pressure off of us. Because then I can show up and I can be with somebody and if they're not receptive or not receptive as I want them to be, I'm pointing them to the person of Jesus. He does the work. I'm just obedient. And again, I want to follow up that question, if, that statement. If he was good, and I thought him to be good news, that he saved my life, and he saved my life, and he has been good since then, he's brought, brought purpose and clarity to your walk and to your life, and he's made things, yes, ultimately harder in some ways, but ultimately more joyful and more purposeful and 
you, 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 like, you live in a way that even when things are near in the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for he is with you. Like, that is a prayer for a reason, because we all walk through a valley. And when you're with a young person, they're going to walk through valleys. And they, counseling is good. They need those things. But they need a king. And I'm not their king. I can't fulfill the promises that they want. But if Jesus has been good to me, and he's been good to you, and he's fulfilled those promises in your life, then our, our pointing him to be apprentice to him is where we go there. So as they start to follow that road, we're, t- we're giving them practices like, I heard some of you guys even say, like praying, praying in tongues, intercession, Bible reading, listening to the Holy Spirit. These practices of prayer that have been the life of the church for 2,000 years so that they hear the voice of God, not just a sermon. Now, that's funny coming from a pastor, right? I realize that the voice of God speaks through sermons. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just simply saying, like, if, if we're apprenticed to a person or a certain church, like my church is better than your church, we're missing the point. And so how we integrate this is, is that after we've consecrated ourselves, and after we are sitting here, we understand that um, we're looking for those that are just slightly receptive. And at first, that might be they're just hanging out with you. You They just, they want to learn how to cook, you know how to cook. That's great. No big deal. That's that's God's movement, I think. Because they're wanting mentors. Mentor them however they'll let you mentor them. Offer prayer. Then once we start getting down this road, we're saying, we're reminding them from a place of humility because we've consecrated ourselves that the good news is not me. This has helped me. I might be wise because of this. You know, don't, don't, be, don't be like what I call a, do you ever know like the, what do you call it? Super humble. You ever have someone super humble? They'd be like, "Oh, thank you for that message." You'd be like, "Oh, no, it's just the Lord." Like, I don't think that's. I don't think that's holy. God did something in you. He He made you. He created you. Just say thanks. I'm glad it blessed you, and then point them back to Christ, because Christ used you in that moment, and I think it actually hurts the moment that God did to like be ultra humble when I'm actually being prideful. Because I can't receive a compliment. Because we play these religious games. They will call you out on that. They don't want they don't want religious games. But there's a community of God here. And God moves between us through the through his spirit. And so how can you make disciples? Um, Howard Thurman, do you guys know who Howard Thurman is? No? So he was a uh, Martin Luther King's professor. And then John, I don't, I'm kind of, I have way too much scripture here, so I'm not going to read the scripture. I'm just going to tell you this quote, set it up, I'm going to pray for you. But Howard Thurman, he was Martin Luther King's professor, and he said this about John A. This was the woman who had caught in the act of adultery. And this is what he says Jesus did to her. He said, He met the woman where she was, and he treated her as if she she were already where she now willed to be. In dealing with her, 
He believed her in the fulfillment of her possibilities. He stirred her confidence into activity. He placed a crown over her head, which for the rest of her life, she would keep trying to grow tall enough to wear. That's discipleship. I'm putting a crown, I'm telling them, this is who you were created to be. I know you're not there. I know you're screwing up. I know you might, you have like all these dreams and these hopes and all these things. And some of them may be what God wants for you. Some of them might not be. This poor woman was called an act of adultery. Everybody is coming around her and saying, you're shaming her. When, we, when, when someone is finally exposed to their shame and their sin, we often in the church double down on that when Jesus said, go and sin no more. That's what he said to her. Does anyone condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. And in doing so, he put a crown over her head. And he said, I see who you could be. And so when you get that opportunity, call out who they could be. Don't ignore sin. Jesus didn't ignore sin. But he didn't focus on it. He focused on the hope and the life with Christ. The good news is the good news, and it will always be the good news. We are going to heaven. And we love to talk about that, but we sometimes forget that we get to live on earth. And we forget that he's coming back to earth. And he's renewing his kingdom. And we forget that he said his kingdom has already started. I forget this. I forgot it this week being rejected by people on campus and going, Lord, why will you not move in the way that I desire you to move? But I promise you, this thing called Christianity has stuck around for 2,000 years through all sorts of persecution and all, all sorts of sin. And God's been here before. And I think he wants to use you to reach the next generation. I'm not just saying that. I think it looks differently than if you're the same age as them. And if you know some people that are the same age, I think you can leverage that. But if you're older, you just have to flip the script the way Jesus does and think about it differently. I'm going to pray for you. The prayer team, if you want to if you have prayer, if something came up that you need consecration on, they'd love to do that with you. I know you guys love that here, and I love that about this church. I think prayer is so important. Um, it's been an honor. It's, I don't take any opportunity um, or even, I don't know. It's just an honor and a privilege, and I, this is a very sacred thing to stand up and say, I thank God saying this. And so um, take with a grain of salt and the Holy Spirit and weigh it. And I pray it blesses you and, it, and it, it sparks a fire in you. 
but no, this is not, this is just, yeah, this is what God's done in me. This is what God's done in me. You kind of like been, I hope that he does more in you. So let me pray. King Jesus, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you that there's a whole wall of missionaries out there that they support. This is a giving congregation. They love you. They love your word. They love your spirit. They love their town and their community. And they're aware that they want more people under 30 sitting in these pews. And many of those that are already Christians might end up at bigger churches with better worship teams. And that's okay. We know you have them, God. You're holding them. But God, what could you do? What could you do with one person right now as, as I'm praying a, someone's name who's maybe even under 25, maybe even 15, I don't know, is dropping into everybody's mind right now. Help us to consecrate ourselves for the revival that I know that you want us to have. A revival of our hearts. Help us to unlearn and, and to throw away our expectations and what that revival could look like because you are bigger and better than our understandings of you. And you can do greater things if we just let you. Help us to live, help them too, to live the truth out of John 15, God, that as we are unified with you, which is the goal of all of this, and as we live in this mystery of being unified with you, you will bear fruit. It is promised. And we do pray. We do intercede for the youth of this town. That there may be youth that some of them might come to fellowship here, that they may know you, and they may have freedom and healing, and they may not have to live in the lie that they're just a body, and that pleasure is all they have, that they could live a different way, an abundant way. They could know why they're actually here. They could have freedom from sin. And we know it's your will. And we know you won't force them. And so we don't know what to do with all of that. But we know we love you and we know you move. And so we're asking for those things. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.